Why are we here? Why are each one of us here assembled in this building tonight? And I ask us this to hopefully give us pause because certainly there are many right answers. You know, we're here because Christ died for us and he instituted his church that we can read about in Matthew 16 and 18. We're here because we're members of that church and that we want to continue steadfastly in doctrine just as we see in Acts chapter 2. We're also here because God has commanded very express ways that we are to worship him, which we can read about in verses such as 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But notice some of the things that we didn't look at in that list. You know, there's lots of people throughout this world today who are assembled in churches similar to ours, but they're there for entirely different reasons. Unlike those men and women, we're not here because of what the church physically offers us. We're not here because this building has, you know, a great band behind me. We're not here because we have a great daycare program, because we have a giant gymnasium back behind us. And on a more personal note, getting back to our actual topic, we're not here because we necessarily like the other members of this building. Now, certainly we hope that's the case and that's something we want to grow and foster. But I think as we can see, our work here as the church, it's not at all contingent upon our personal feelings. It doesn't matter if we love the person sitting next to us or in front of us. And it doesn't matter if there's a person across the aisle that we may not be able to stand be around. We still have the same obligation to that person regardless of our feelings because they're a fellow member of the body of Christ. But what exactly is our responsibility to one another? What does the Bible have to say about those relationships? And fortunately for us, God's made it pretty simple. The phrase one another that we've mentioned as it pertains to our relationships with those around us in Christ, it's used almost a hundred times throughout the New Testament. And obviously we're not gonna go through every one of those settings tonight, but I think there's a couple overall overarching themes that we can apply in our relationships with one another if we want the church to be what it needs to be. And before I even list those three categories, I do wanna interject. Our relationships with our fellow Christians are never going to be what they need to be unless our relationship with God is correct, first of all. But be that as it may, I think the easiest place to start, like I said, is with three overall categories. The first and second are pretty simple. What not to do, what to do for our brothers and sisters. And the third is more of how can we help each other get to heaven? What spiritual responsibilities do I have to my brothers and sisters in Christ? But let's start with the first. Like I said, it's probably the simplest. I mean, all, all it is really is avoiding certain things. But it's still very, very important. We can't expect any of our relationships to be what they ought to be tonight by divine intervention or some form of magic. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. Look at Galatians 5 and 26, and we'll start here. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, if you were to go back and read the first few sections of this chapter you'll see that Paul's really been discussing the fruits of the Spirit. He's been discussing what it means to walk in the Spirit, how our Christian lives are supposed to be spent the way God wants them to be spent. So really, as a base foundation of everything we discussed today, it's our hearts. Everything starts here. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And our hearts need to view fellow Christians the same way Christ does. Read Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave himself for his organization, for his church. He gave everything he had to sanctify and to establish it. 
So who do we think we are to treat its members with contempt, with disrespect? And Romans 5 and 8 says, not only did Christ do this, but he did it for us while we were still sinners. He died for those who hated him. So our attitude towards our brothers and sisters, it honestly should be irrelevant to anything they say, anything they think, or even anything that they do. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their attitude is towards us. We still are commanded to practice that same love toward them that Christ has for us. And thinking for me, you know, maybe it'd be easier to have this attitude if I stopped and actually thought about who those members are. If I stopped thinking of them in negative ways, but instead maybe, or instead maybe remembered that they are fellow Christians, that they're souls, they're people who are trying just the way I am, and they're someone that Christ died for just as he did me. I'm not anything special. I'm not better than they are. We're not better than each other. We're just different. And we need God's love and grace just as much as the person sitting next to us. No exceptions. So again, do we think of other people as souls or people that Christ died for? And I want to interject that this lesson really isn't for you all tonight. It's another refresher for myself. Because these are the kinds of things that it's, it's difficult for me. I like to check a box and be done with it. But it's hard to view people the way Christ does. Now, of course, in matters of error, we don't accept people as they are. We don't brush sin under the rug. But we still have an obligation to always, always, always speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 and 15. And if we can't address error in love, then I want to submit to you that you might want to get someone else to address that error. Or you sin as well. And you may run the risk of doing more damage than good to the Lord's body. Pushing people away rather than bringing them back to Christ. So back to Galatians 5 and 26. Don't provoke one another. Meaning, don't look for ways to stir up anger. Don't look for ways to point out negative emotions in our fellow Christians. And Paul addresses where so many of those things start. With envy. Maybe we feel that there's someone who we're jealous of. Maybe they're getting more attention than we think they ought to get. Or maybe we want whatever it is that we perceive they have. We have to squelch that emotion right away. Because if we don't, it's going to continue to build until the next few verses that we talk about, we'll see. It has no place in our relationships. We don't envy one another, but instead we rejoice with one another. Romans 12 and 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to be so connected to our fellow brothers and sisters that when one thing happens to them, we feel that emotion right along with them. You know, do you ever think of us as a body? The Bible describes it that way multiple, multiple times. So when you go in the gym or maybe out in the yard, whatever it is you're doing, if you go to lift a heavy weight with your left hand, if it's too much for that left hand to handle, what happens? Well, immediately, I'm going to bring my right hand in to try and help support that weight. My right hand doesn't sit back and think, wow, I'm so glad I'm not the left hand right now. There is no way I could handle that. No, it's an immediate response. And in fact, not only is my other hand going to come into play, I'm probably going to start straining and bending my entire body to support that weight and help that left hand out. That should be the same that we do for our fellow members in the body of Christ. And it's a reflex. It's not something that we need to be thinking about and wondering, okay, do I do this? Do I not? It needs to be instantaneous if we're going to be as connected as Christ commands us to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, 
all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So now is the time for us to start reaching out. And if you're the person who, maybe you're the left hand who's hurting, don't think that you can't also be reaching out to other members who might also be hurting. You ever been working out in the yard and you cut both of your hands? Well, if you do, I'm still going to be needing both my hands to bandage the other one. You ever tried to put a Band-Aid on with the same hand? It doesn't work. Same thing goes for the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who's hurting or it doesn't matter if you're the one hurting. You can still reach out. You can still have an impact on your fellow members in Christ. But again, what are we doing for one another? It's up to us to answer that question. But moving back to Galatians, back up a few verses to verse 15 of that fifth chapter that we were already reading in. The Apostle Paul says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Remember I mentioned there was a bigger consequence? Well, this is where Paul starts to get into it. It starts in our heart, but it's going to very quickly manifest itself in each one of our actions. So Paul tells the brethren here and us, keep your actions in check. Pay attention. If you're going to be envious of one another, the natural response is going to be bitterness. And that manifests itself in several ways. Biting or stinging, as this Greek word can also refer, refer to. Basically, any sharp and deliberate pain we go about inflicting on our brothers and sisters. And we might feel totally justified in what we're doing. They may very well have something that needs correction and something that needs to be addressed. But regardless of the reason, again, we're only authorized to speak to one another in love. We may be direct. We may admonish. In fact, we're commanded to admonish and rebuke, but only out of love, never with the intent to harm or to lash out. Now, the next thing Paul mentions here is devouring. Eating each other alive is what the connotation is. So the bite and sting might start small, but before long, it's going to escalate. And it seems to me that Paul is really addressing both our words and our deeds here by saying word and deed, by saying bite and devour. Both our speech and our actions have to be aligned and have to be godly towards our fellow Christians. Or what? So what if they aren't, Paul? What's the big deal? You know, we're all going to show up here at the building once a week regardless. What's the big deal? Well, Paul answers that too. He says, beware lest you be consumed by one another. As cliche as this may sound, there's no winner when it comes to bitterness and slandering. There truly are only two losers in that fight. And both will end up being destroyed by it. And what's more, so is God's body. So it's God's house that we're commanded to build up. So we need to always keep our hearts and our actions in check. And as Ephesians 4 and 31 commands us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now there are other excellent verses that we could go to that gives us plenty of don'ts, such as Romans 14 and 13, do not judge one another. Don't put a stumbling block in one another's way. Or maybe John 6 and 43, don't grumble against one another. But I think the underlying principle we've already touched on in these things, and I think they're summed up by the themes that we've already read from Galatians. So I want us to move on to the thou shalts. And this is where things really get convicting, at least for me. Because like I said, it's really easy for me to check that box and think, eh, you know, I haven't done that, haven't done that, haven't done that. I'm, I'm pretty good with everybody, so I've just kind of washed my hands and that's all I need to do. Well, that's wrong. We still have a great, great obligation. You mean, even though we're in good standings with other people, we still have more that needs to be done? Yeah, 
That's exactly what this means. And that's why I struggle with it because in addition to checking a box, I also, I like my personal time. I like to leave church at church, think, okay, I've associated with the members. Now it's time to go back and do what I want to do. But that's not pleasing to God. That's not what he's after in his body. And think of the implications here. Not only can we not treat each other in certain ways, but we have certain ways that we must treat each other, treat each other with, excuse me. Meaning we have actions that have to be taken and we have to work. We have to go out of our way to do some of these things. We can't be passive in our relationships towards our brethren. At least not if we expect the church to be what it needs to be. Why else would Paul liken it to a race in 2 Timothy 4 and 7? So what all does that entail? What are all those actions that we're talking about? Well, first of all, I do find it interesting that while I was putting this lesson together, it was a lot easier to find do's than don'ts throughout the scripture for our relationships. And I don't think that's any coincidence. Because if we're busy doing the work of the Lord, doing what we need to be doing for our brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about the don'ts. They're already taken care of. But be that as it may, first off, I want to notice a broad command that we have in the scriptures. Mark 9 and 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. There's that word again, one another. God has always intended his people to be a peaceful people. But this is especially true in the church. We can't expect to accomplish God's will tonight if we're constantly fighting or aren't at peace in our own congregation. Jesus himself said that a house divided is not going to stand in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12. And also think back to verses such as Matthew 5 and 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Takes work, takes effort. Or how about James 3 and 18? Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, making peace, actively sowing the fruits of righteousness. That's our responsibility. But how do we go about doing this? How do we achieve that peace that God has intended for all of us to have? Well, not surprising, yet again, it starts in our hearts. John 13 and 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how we're even identified as Christians by the world, is that brotherly love. So can we honestly say we're loving one another if we're practicing some of those don'ts that we already talked about? If we're gossiping, backbiting, treating each other negatively? Perhaps it would do all of us well to remember that every time we do these things, we weaken the church. And what's more than that, we're not even showing ourselves to be Christians. We're not even demonstrating ourselves to be the very people and the very things God put us on this earth to be. And how do we love? as Christ did, giving every bit of himself for a world that absolutely hated him. No thought of anything in return, no thought for self at all. That's our job, especially with members of the church. And I really want all of us to consider this right now. Remember how we're supposed to treat our fellow Christians because we only get one shot at this down here. That's it. And we may not get any kind of a second chance once the damage is done. Now, certainly that love can take a lot of forms, and the Bible gives us a few. So I want us to look back and look at what it means to love each other as Christ did. Turn with me yet again to Galatians, the fifth chapter, 
And I think verse, thir th excuse me, verse 13 summarizes the issue quite well. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now the context here is pretty interesting. Paul has just been discussing Christian liberties. In other words, these are things that these Christians may very well have the right to do. They may very well have the right to do the things that they want to do. But so often we get wrapped up in, do I have the right to do something, that we miss the bigger picture. Paul isn't addressing these liberties saying, okay, you have the right, you're good to go. He's addressing these things saying, okay, you have the right, awesome, give it up. Let go of that thing if it benefits someone else in the church. That's what Paul's getting at. Give up what you may be allowed to do if it benefits another member of the body of Christ. And no person better exemplified this than Christ himself. Go back again to John, the 13th chapter. Now, we already read a section of this, but I want to read a few more verses. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verses 12 through 15. Frank even talked about this this morning. And remember where we are also in Jesus' life. He's at the end of it. This is at the end of his ministry. He's already done so much to serve them. And what's more, he's about to die for them. And not only that, but the disciples have just been arguing and bickering among themselves as to which one's the greatest. So in my mind, I can't help but think Christ has got to be sitting back thinking, seriously, guys? I'm the one who's about to die for you, so you guys need to hush. I'm obviously the greatest. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he stoops even lower and performs a slave's job for these ungrateful disciples, touching their dirty and disgusting feet. He gives us this as an example, and then what's more, an explicit command that we need to be doing these same kinds of things for our fellow brothers and sisters. We have to find a way to put those things into practice. Or how about Romans 12 and 10? Be devoted to one another in love. Now, devotion, that's a pretty strong, that's a pretty strong sentiment willing to set everything else aside. And then there's Philippians 2 and 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem one another better than himself. Think of each other as more important than you are. Then the actions really follow naturally. And the same chapter again says this is what Christ did. He didn't cling to equality with God, but instead he made himself of no repute and became a servant, submitting himself to God's will. And I think that humility is the key here. That's really what it takes in order for us to have the right attitude serving one another. Now there's again, countless more verses we could discuss, but I want us to move on and wrap up with our last section. We know how to treat each other, we know how not to treat each other, but there's one more incredibly important concept tonight. If we want the church to be what it needs to be, then we have spiritual obligations to one another. We have to watch out for each other's souls. And really, if you think about it, this is the capstone of our love for each other. How better could we show love to our fellow brothers than making sure that they're in good standing with God and we all get to heaven? I want to start with Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, 
and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now think about what Paul is really saying here. First of all, he reminds each of us who we are. The elect, he says. Those chosen by God to come out of the world, to be different from the world. To do his will. To obey him and his kingdom. So ought we not to keep this in mind when our, with our interactions with our brethren? Remember who you're addressing with the phrase, one another. A Christian. And remember who you are. You're a Christian. Not only... Are we the elect? But Paul also says that we're beloved. We're sanctified and loved by God. And as such, again, we've been given an important role to play in one another's lives. We can't downplay that. Being merciful, just as Christ had mercy upon us. Being kind to one another. Being humble and meek, just as Jesus was meek. Every action throughout Jesus' entire life, even when he was upset, exhibited perfect self-control. That's our responsibility to our fellow Christians. And then the last few things, once again, stress the terms one another. Long-suffering and bearing with one another. Be patient with your brothers and sisters. Don't be angry. Don't get frustrated with them. But bear with them. And I want to insert Galatians 6 and verse 2 right here at this point. Not only do we bear with our brethren, but we bear for our brethren. Bear one another's burdens, that verse says. We help them lift their loads, and we, again, always do it out of love. Not obligation, not forcibly, but out of love. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3 and 14. That love is what's going to bind us together when hard times come along. We can't lose that as the body of Christ. But there's one last thing in verse 13 that gets touched on here, and I think it would be a mistake not to dwell on it for just a little bit. Forgiveness. And that's a hard concept. You know, it's one thing to be patient with someone. It's one thing to help them bear up their burdens. It's one thing to be long-suffering with them. But when you're the target of that person, that's a whole nother ballgame. But it is what we're commanded. Even when we're the target, we forgive and we bear with one another. And it doesn't matter what they've done, and it doesn't matter how many times they've done it. Matthew 18 and 21, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say up to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. As often as we're in a situation that needs forgiveness, we forgive. It's that simple. But why? Paul, excuse me, Paul really drives it home with this next point. Even as Christ forgave you. Again, God himself is our example tonight. God himself is who we hold ourselves up against and see if we're meeting the criteria. And if you can count the amount of times God has forgiven you tonight, maybe you've got a number that you can apply to your fellow Christians. But I doubt any of us can count that high. So what other spiritual obligations do we have tonight? Flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Well, first of all, he says comfort one another. And again, that plays perfectly into what we've already been discussing. It builds perfectly on the back of bearing burdens, forgiving. We can be there to lift our brothers and sisters when they're down. And I think here, this may be an odd example, but I think here of the Apostle Peter, that even he was able to lift up Jesus in a low point. Flip with me to John chapter 6, and we'll read verse 66 through 69. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Jesus is genuinely hurt here. He knows the hearts of men, and he's incredibly saddened by their carnal mindset. You know, he's just performed a pretty awesome miracle. He's fed thousands of people. But once it comes time for the spiritual food, once it comes time for the hard lessons about obedience, those same people hop off the bandwagon. They're nowhere to be found. So Jesus, in discouragement, turns to his disciples and says, you know, are you guys going to leave me too? But look at Peter's response. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He comforts Jesus. He lets him know that his preaching hasn't fallen on deaf ears. His ministry isn't in vain. And it's up for us to look for ways to emulate that when it comes to our fellow brothers and sisters. But there's one last point in verse, that verse in Thessalonians that we need to address. Edification. Edifying. Strengthening one another in Christ is one of the biggest roles we can play in each other's lives. And we have to be doing that as members of his body. Constantly feeding each other. Constantly helping each other grow spiritually. And you know, I think about it, It's real easy to complain about people who we think are weak in the faith. Wow, I can't believe what so-and-so did. Can't believe that they even call themselves a Christian. Are they even showing up to services? But what are we doing about it? How are we going about edifying that person? How are we going about strengthening that person? And along the same thought, Hebrews 10 and 24 says, we need to be stirring up one another to love and good works. So let me ask us this. After we interact with our fellow Christians, after we leave here, will we have felt edified? Will we have felt stirred on to be even better Christians in this up and coming week? Because we should. That's our goal. With any interaction we have with our fellow brothers and sisters, that's our goal. And in order to do some of these things, we also need to be willing to be vulnerable with our brothers and sisters. And I mean this in a very specific way. James 5 and 16. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Are we willing to admit our faults and our sins to our fellow Christians? Because that's the only way we can truly help one another, if we know what they're up against. If we know each other's struggles. And that also means, on the receiving end, that when someone's opening up to us, we can't react harshly and judgmentally. We have to be willing to react as Christ did, not judging them, but willing to help them through these things. We looked at this verse a little bit, but I'll actually read it in its entirety. Romans 14 and 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. And how about that second part in the verse in James? Pray for one another. You know, that should be the simplest and easiest thing, if nothing else, that we're doing for our fellow Christians. Constantly going before God on their behalf. And what's more, James tells us it's effective. It's worthwhile. It's powerful. Well, again, there's countless more lessons that I think we could apply here to our study like being hospitable to one another, 1 Peter 4 and 9, or maybe speaking the truth in love to one another, Ephesians 4 and 25. But again, I think the few things that we have touched on this evening really encompass the, the broad majority of our responsibilities. They're really a good place to start when we're looking for how to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we have a huge blessing with the people sitting around us tonight. We have a huge blessing and a huge asset that God has given us. 
So let us always strive to remember our responsibilities toward one another and not take those things for granted. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.